listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3RRR. You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week October 24 to October 28. Uh, this week we were very excited to have Ken Walker, who's the senior curator of the entomology uh, at Melbourne Museum, aka Bugman. Bugman. And we had him to have in to have a chat about bugs and also uh, Toot Your Horn Tuesday. We had a lot to say about Yeah, we all did well. Yeah. Uh, and then we spoke to Felicity Watson from the National Trust about the demolition of the Corkman. Made a lot of people angry. The demolition, not our interview. And <laughs> <laughs> then we talked about unsung heroes, one of which was me. For learning to wade rather than swim. <laughs> Champion wader. I'm sure most people think that the insects and bugs we might encounter when we start venturing out into the spring weather are a problem. Not so our next guest, Ken Walker, who's a senior curator of entomology at the Melbourne Museum. He's coming to tell us about the friendly bugs of the city as well as the evil ones. Welcome to Breakfast. Hello, Ken. Jeff. How are you? Hello, Sarah. Hello, Hello. Geraldine. We've been referring to you just as bug man. That's, Sorry, what, that's, okay. <laughs> that's what I get called. <laughs> so, for a lot of people, I guess bugs are horrible, creepy crawlies that they might want to get rid of them. For people listening who think that way, how would you convince them otherwise to love the bug? Yeah, well, um, there's only about 1% of bugs that are bad. The rest are really, really good. So bugs kind of come in three groups. There's those that chew plants. There's those that suck the sap out of plants. And then there's all the predators. And the predators keep all the sap sucking and the chewing bugs in kind of a line. So if you go out and you spray willy-nilly-nilly, you're killing all the good bugs that are going to be keeping the bad bugs in the right amount on that. So as I said, there's a lot of bugs. Take for example bees. Um, you know, one in every three mouthfuls of food you eat is a direct result of pollination. So wow. imagine if you didn't have pollination, you wouldn't have fruit, you wouldn't have vegetables, you know, you wouldn't have honey and that. So there's an awful lot of good bugs out there and a relatively small number of bad bugs. But the bad bugs get a lot of bad press. Uh, we were just talking <laughs> about mosquitoes, for example, yes. you know. And people sometimes say to me, why the heck are there mosquitoes? Well, you know, the female sucks blood to be able to, to mature her eggs, but the male doesn't suck blood and does an awful lot of good pollination. Does he really? The male goes oh. around to all kinds of flowers and pollinates. So he's an excellent pollinator. Oh. It's just the female that sucks the blood, you know, to get eggs, uh, to mature oh. eggs. So mosquitoes are kind of like blood-sucking bees. They are, actually. They oh, are. that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and for those who weren't privy to our conversation off-air, you were just saying that there is an abnormal amount of mosquitoes around at the moment. It wasn't just me no, know, imagining no, things. No, no. Yes. Well, we've had the wettest winter in about 100 years, and then, of course, spring has been cool and wet, and that just provides a fantastic habitat all the culverts, every little bit of places where there can be water uh, accumulate, there's water. Mosquitoes have a generation turn of about three weeks from egg to adult, so it doesn't take very long for one female to lay 100 eggs. Those 100 eggs in three weeks become 100 uh, mosquitoes, 50 of which are female. Then they oh. lay another 100 eggs, so the population just explodes. And we do have an abnormal number of mozzies about at the moment, and they, they are not pleasant. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when did you first become interested in bugs and insects. Was there a particular moment that inspired you to become an entomologist? Well, well, um, my mum and dad uh, were both birdos um, and I lived in Queensland. Apparently, even before I could walk, I was on the backpack and we were out looking at birds in the country. So I've always been a kind of a, a country outdoor person. And then at university, I did agricultural science and I just fell in love with entomology. And I've been at the museum since 1981. Wow. <laughs> Talk about making a career of it. <laughs> 
All right, you were recently quoted in The Age helping the paper to classify bugs and insects into friends and foes. That's right. So which are the most friendly bugs that we might encounter? Well, as I said, it's the predators that are your most friendly bugs. Um, just take, for example, um, just take spiders, for example. Um, the each, each year, and we love spiders, each year around the world, the spiders eat the weight of the human population in insects. My Lord. Now, just think me. about it. If we didn't have that, imagine we'd be overrun with, with mosquitoes. I beg your pardon, with insects and that. So there's these real, what they call controls there. So it's the predators that maintain it. Thrips, for example, um, every seven years there's a major outbreak of thrips. Has anybody seen at the moment there's a major outbreak of hoverflies? Yes. They look a little oh my bit God. like. Yes, yes, yes. They're yes. all over my garden. Oh, I yeah. thought I'd gone, oh, I love, I'm so happy we got yes. you in. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they look like bees. Yes, I thought yeah. they were mini bees. And yes. Then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I looked yeah. them up and I discovered they were hoverflies. They're hoverflies. Now, the great thing about hoverflies is the larva. The larva loves aphids. So if you've got a rose garden and you've got hoverflies, then your roses won't be covered with, with all aphids on that. So so there's that kind of predator <laughs> prey. Yeah, mosquitoes, hoverflies. Yeah, it's all happening in my house. It's all happening. You, yes, this is the garden to go to. Sarah's garden to go to on that. So, uh, but yeah, if look, you hoverflies, could have yeah. jumped in the air and clicked your heels right there. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. I got one. I got one. You know? so, uh, so, yeah, look, um, as I said, a lot of people do, like Sarah, uh, she sees these kind of influxes of insects doesn't know whether they're good or bad, uh, but in general, they're good. Um, but as I said, you know, if you do grow roses and you grow them seriously, uh, then having a whole lot of aphids, particularly around the bud, really, you know, sucks the sap out of the plant. But also, when you have a suck, a sap-sucking bug, it transmits viruses from plant to plant, and so it's, a, it's the best way to spread a disease or a virus through a plant and that. So, as I said, if you've got something that's going to eat the sap suckers, then you're way ahead, and you haven't got a spray. Love it. In that piece, I was surprised to discover that we have in Victoria or in Australia the loudest cicadas in the world. We do, we do. Down here in Melbourne, it's called Cyclochila australasiae. It's got a funny common name. It's got a whole series. It's called the Green Grocer, the Double Drummer, the Yellow Monday. These are all different colour variations. But its sound is 120 decibels. Oh, now wow. A rock, and now, a jackhammer is about 110. Rock concerts are around about 150. So there's one little insect about the size of your thumb that can generate this enormous... If you go down St Kilda Road and all the plane trees at times of the year, it's just deafening, absolutely deafening. But they take five years. They live five years underground, um, living on sap sucks and on the roots and that. The adults come up and they last for about four weeks and they just make an awful lot of noise for the sexes to attract. Wow, that's a sad life, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These underground but it is actually, underground. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great life no. as an adult, no, no, no. no. <laughs> but you make an awful lot of noise. Yeah. <laughs> um, we had someone in from the Melbourne Museum, what, six months or so yeah, ago, about talking that. about spiders and oh, yes, the, yes. the terrible um, arachnophobia oh, yes, that yes. some people have and the mechanisms that people had to overcome. Is there an equivalent for bugs? Do you find people who are just absolutely terrified of them? I have a friend um, who's actually more afraid of my wife and she's um, have a phobia of moths. It's the flapping noise. And all i got to do is look at her and look above her. Oh, <laughs> you and are she goes evil. To I'm just going to look and look above her. I won't, well, I'll call Hillary if Hillary's listening. <laughs> but it's just this flapping 
uh, of the wings that it just drives her crazy and she has a terrible phobia. That's the, that's the main phobia I've kind of heard about. Spider, yeah, there's a lot of phobias about spiders and that. Uh, but moths, a lot of people seem to have this flapping uh, It's interesting we had a moth in, moth in our bathroom. Of course we did because all the bugs in Victoria yes. live in my <laughs> live in house. house. Yes, yes. Uh, and I found myself, I was quite I was really upset by it and I yeah. couldn't work out why because I wasn't in danger. Or, no, you know, no. there's nothing yeah. they can really do to you but no, they're quite no. horrible. Well, do you know the, what I think yeah. it is? It's, it's, sorry, with yeah. the spiders and with moths and stuff, it's that unexpected... Mm. Movement. It's the equivalent yeah. of someone coming up behind you and going, Rah! Yes, yes, so yes. It's, yes. That, yes. it's that crazy fluttering. sense of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the movement, I think, is what it is. Same mm. as the spiders, you know, kind of black, small, move around, uh, and moss flapping and that. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is the movement that Thank kind of you. catches people. Solved. <laughs> Solved all the problems of the universe. Dr. Geraldine, thank you very much. <laughs> what, what's the state of Australian insects? I mean, are they in danger from pollution, climate change? They all, uh, wow. And we hear a lot about bees and colony collapse and everything. Yep. Is that? Yep. Bees and colony collapses up in the curves overseas, um, and its real, um, real genesis of colony collapse disorder is called the varroa mite. Uh, it's it's a mite that gets in and sucks the sap, uh, or sucks the sap, sucks the juice out of the out of the larvae. We're the last continent without varroa mite. Um, North America, South America, Europe. Um, now, all those places uh, where varroa mite is there and colony collapse does occur, they lose about fifty percent of their of their hives. And now, you know, Australia, we get about $6 billion worth of free pollination. Imagine if we halve that. Wow. Um, you know, crops are going to cost a lot more to, to produce because you get more and more bees in on that. Uh, plants will just fail. You know, everything's going to change enormously. We do say that Varroa might, will make it here. Um, just recently up in Townsville, there was a shipment came from overseas and there was the little, what they call the Asian bee that had Varroa mite. But fortunately, they found it. Uh, but we're the last continent. So when it comes, there'll be a massive, massive change to the honeybee dynamics within Australia. So it's quite frightening. Is there anything that we're doing to try and stop it from We are. Yeah. 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 One of the main things we do is we have 1,600 sentinel hives. So around every port around Australia where all the goods come in, there are beehives that are very close to the port. And the idea is that a, 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 a hive will come in from overseas with varroa mite. They'll go to flowers and then bees from the sentinel hive will go to the flowers. And as the bees move around, the mites transfer from adult to adult and then go back to the hive. And then they'll go back to the sentinel hive. And every two weeks there's a check done on these 1,600 wow. sentinel hives on that. So that's the best way we can do it and then of course if they do find uh, varroa mite in the central hive then every beehive in a kind of five kilometre radius will be nuked and just wiped out on that so uh, so central hives yeah. is what we're doing fascinating yeah. and and just finally I've seen a bunch of articles recently talking about insects as the protein source yes. of, the, of the future a way of feeding the hunger hungry because they contain so much Good material. They do. What's your thoughts on that? Are you well, an insect eater? Well, I have. I have chocolate coated ants. I have had um, grasshopper egg bread. Uh, ah. I've, I've had mealworms um, where you put a bit of curry or a bit of soy sauce on that. Look, they're very high in protein. You go to you go to Asia and there are just whole pans and pots of scorpions and, and lots of bugs and that. Very, very high in protein. Uh, and of course, with the way that insects breed, uh, it's a wonderful way of being able to produce food. So yeah, I think, I think it is the way of the future. Uh, there are whole societies now uh, around bringing up uh, this kind of insect food. In fact, we have an entomological conference at the end of the year and uh, for one of the morning teas, we're having eat insects <laughs> so on the menu. So yeah, crunch. it's a little bit crunch. it's a little bit disturbing when you get an ant mandible stuck between your oh, teeth. <laughs> but apart from that, but apart from that, uh, we've been talking to Ken Walker. He's a senior curator of entomology at the Melbourne Museum. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. 
You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3RRR in Melbourne, Australia. Maybe you ran through Hawthorne, naked as the day you were born. Whatever it is, now it's time to toot your own horn. Toot your horn. Beep, beep. Toot your horn Tuesday. If you did that, please don't tell us about it. <laughs> yeah, what, I don't what? know if that is a good example of Would tooting you your own horn. Toot your horn if you did that. If you ran through Hawthorne, yeah. naked as the day you were born. Perhaps uh, not. Maybe. Depends on the circumstances surrounding... <laughs> the nakedness. The nakedness and the running and the suburb. Uh, uh, who wants to toot? Start with someone else start because I don't know much to toot about. Oh, no gardening this week, mate. Is no, it all just some general watering and... No, it's all going beautifully, but mine's I don't have to that, do much to mine's it. Mine's not that great either. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll yeah, start you, you off. Sure. Thanks. Uh, my thing this week is I caught public transport home yesterday instead of getting an Uber. Oh. Thank you. Oh, I, I, Thank I'm very you. proud of you. I, I didn't believe you would do it. Neither did yeah, I. See, that's why I'm tooting my horn. <laughs> you know what? Because I even offered her my, my key card because she hadn't topped hers up and I said, why don't you just take mine and use it? And she uh-huh. didn't say yes and I thought, no, it's because she's going to get an Uber. Yeah, I thought of it. And then... How did you find the experience? Oh, yeah, I love PT at times. Well, I, I love... That's not P- what you said yesterday. No, that's a big fat lie, I know. Um, <coughs> it was... When it's good, though, you're like, God, I love public transport. When it's bad, you just think, I'm never doing this ever again. Well, once I figured out how e- how to look at how easy it was to get home, I was like, oh, it'll take me 30 minutes to get home by PT. And then and I, I spoke to Simon, who catches PT. Simon um, Winkler. Yes. I said, where do, you, where do you top up your Mikey? And he was like, oh, I top mine up online. I was like, no. Nah. Takes twenty four hours. That's so good to me. Um, <laughs> is there a is there a machine at the actual tram stop? No, yeah. but the milk bar down next stop. I had ah, so I just had to walk down to the next stop. Cool. Topped up there, and then walked across the road. Tram was coming. Oh, perfect! <laughs> Straight on. <laughs> I can't believe you're boasting about catching a tram. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's good. Straight on the tram because it's second stop. Easy to find a seat. Thank you. New touch on machines on the on the ninety six. Is it? Yeah. What happens when you touch on? Just really quick. Just boom, oh. done. Boom. Quick as a quick, quick as you like. Then a bus. Have it seat. Yeah, and then it just went down and caught the bus from um, Johnson Street, but just just missed the bus though. Oh. But that's all right. Need to get my steps up, so just walked a couple of blocks. Did you? Yeah. Got on. God, you're motivated. Got on the bus. And then got home. Is this going to be a regular thing? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so no, well, if When I you say you liked it, you didn't like it that much. Well, she can't get yeah. here on public transport, can Yeah, I can't you? get here oh, on public yeah, transport. Well, it doesn't start did, early you know, yeah. Well, okay. I could, but I think I worked out that it gets here at um, 5.55, so just be cutting it a bit fine. <laughs> it would. It yeah. would. I'm not approving. Uh, okay, that makes me feel a bit better about mine. I think I'm going to tell you – I would have talked to you about doing the 1,000 steps, which I think I could have tooted my horn about, but I'd already done that. So I'm going to tell you about how I finally uh, cleaned my clothes cupboard, which <gasps> was just full of not, oh. not, knotted balls of clothes. So I don't know if you oh. have this, but I have a cupboard and I don't have enough room to hang all of my clothes. So I've just got shelves where I just shove all my yep. clothes in yep. and I don't do anything with them. And I've been staring I at I have it. that without the shelves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have them around the bottom of my bed as well. So I... I Relate totally. Uh, and I just, when I need to get dressed, I pull out a ball of clothes and I throw it everywhere quite angrily as Andrew watches me like 
just so disgusted by the way that I live. And uh, on the weekend, I said, I thought I have time. I'm going to pull out those balls of clothes and fold them all up and put them in piles. So now all of my shelves have nice piled, themed, you know, there's jeans in one bit, skirts in another bit. Beautiful. Wow. Did you Do you know what? You can beautiful. toot your own horn again in two weeks' time if that's still the case. <laughs> it's already beginning to, like, merge into one again. Oh. I'm trying to keep it all nice. Did you ask yourself when you held up each one whether it sparked joy? I did not. No. I see, but I'm, I did actually come out with a little bag of stuff I'm getting rid of. I did go, no, nah, haven't worn it. Don't I want need it. Don't to want it. have a big purge of my wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. Well, the next step for in this, this is part one of something that I might have to follow up, is to have a market stall in a few weeks. And I've already applied, I got an application. I have filled out the application and gone to the whole, through the steps of... Oh, well, that's all right. If, you, if the clothes that you don't want are good enough that you think you can sell them, that's, yeah. that's pretty good. Oh, that's oh. an idea. I know. Maybe I'll get in on your... Yeah, get in on my market stall. Yeah. Seriously. Oh, cool. Well, I, want, I need more motivation to do well, it. Would you like to sell that T-shirt I had the other day that wanted the big hole in the back? It's disgusting. It's probably people that can't see Jeff. He turned up the other day in his Bad Brains T-shirt, which is a really cool T-shirt, and he put his arm up in the air and it's missing half of his... Just missing. Where did that half? Where did it go? I don't know, but you can sell it at this store. <laughs> but that wasn't even. There was another T-shirt that had the hole in the back. Yeah, there was two. Mm. Yeah. Well, there you go. There's some products for your for your, for your <laughs> products with a bin, I reckon. As warm by breakfast, Jeff Sparrow. <laughs> um. Well. Okay. Well. Well, you can toot your own horn, horn for having a T-shirt that doesn't have any holes yeah. in it today. Yeah. <laughs> Let's if not. that is what your life has come to, I'm so sad. Let's not speak too soon. No, no, I, I, I do have one. Um. I'm now elected to um, our body corporate in my building. Hello. Sir, just Exactly. <laughs> I've started getting all the emails. Um, I'll tell you what, it's, just, it's just a whole secret world that's going on inside my building that I had no idea about. Like what? Yeah, I probably can't say it oh, <laughs> on the yeah. radio, but it's just, You're off. It's just that um, all the complaints come to the body corporate. Yes. Ah. And then the people in the body corporate, there's like a mailing list where they talk about. Can you search complaints that have been made about you? There's no complaints have been made about me. What kind of complaints have been made about me? I think the answer is yes, and there are many. (laughs) Well, anyway, even if there were, they'll be coming to an end now that I'm on the body corporate because that means I'm on the top and I'm in charge. The man in the ripped shirt (laughs) on the top floor. Things are going to change in my building, let me tell you. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. The illegal demolition of Carlton's Corkman Hotel last week caused a great deal of controversy. To talk about what's happened and what it means, we're joined by Felicity Wilson, the Acting Manager, Advocacy and Conservation at the National Trust. Welcome to Breakfast, Felicity. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure. What was the Corkman Hotel? Why was it so significant? So the Corkman Hotel was, um, I guess, the kind of local that we all have in our neighbourhoods. It was uh, originally built in 1857. The earliest section of it was built um, then. Uh, It had lots of later additions over time, but it was one of the earliest buildings in that part of Carlton. Um, There are all kinds of amazing stories associated with this um, pub. Um, From 1860, it was home to the Melbourne Forensic Society, uh, which was associated with the law school at the University of Melbourne, which is still just across the road. Barry was the president of that society and he was the inaugural chancellor of the University of Melbourne and also presided over the Ned Kelly trials, uh, famously uh, contributing to, um, to law in, in Victoria. 
Um, all kinds of interesting tidbits have come out um, over the past week, including uh, a really interesting uh, stained glass window at the pub, which was a gift from Lyndon Johnson to Harold Holt, who um, oh, wow. former Prime Minister of Australia, uh, to, um, I guess... A, a symbol of the special relationship between Australia and the state. So we're trying to find out a bit more about that, but lots of amazing stories. Wow. What do we know about what happened and why? So we don't know much at this stage. We haven't heard uh, from the owners of the site, uh, the developers who own it. What we do know is that the current owners bought the site in late 2014 for about $4.8 million. It was $1.7 million over the reserve price that was expected. So uh, it generated a lot of interest, this site, because it's obviously very close to the city and a prime development site. So the pub was demolished, um, we believe, without any building permits or planning permits. Uh, the, the owners had never made public what they had planned for the site. So it all happened very suddenly and all of the uh, relevant authorities, the council, WorkSafe, the EPA um, and the construction union are investigating how often do we see something like this happen in Melbourne? Is it a common occurrence? It's actually quite rare, especially to see something happen um, this quickly and at this scale. Uh, we often, well, not often, but we have had a few examples, about seven over the last decade that I've been able to uncover of owners who have um, illegally demolished parts of their their um, properties, but they usually already have a planning permit in place for another development. Uh, so, for example, in 2012, there was a warehouse in Richmond uh, that was demolished illegally and VCAT ordered them to, to reconstruct three of the walls of that, um, but it was to be incorporated into an apartment development. Mm. Well, what state generally is Melbourne's um, architectural heritage in are we losing it is it being well protected protections for heritage have definitely um been i guess increasing over the years we're recognizing more and more places that need to be protected and organizations like the national trust have been working really hard to make sure that as many places as possible are, pro are protected under local planning schemes and the state uh, heritage act so the corkman hotel was an example of a place that was protected under the heritage overlay but a, a disturbing trend that we're seeing is that heritage protection is very geared towards protecting bricks and mortar and not protecting the social history and the social value that might be provided by a place like the, the Corkman Hotel or Carlton Inn, as it um, has historically been known. So we see places like the Palace Theatre in Burke Street, the Corkman Hotel, the Edgy in Mentone, uh, the North Fitzroy Star, where um, places are being bought up by developers. And while the physical fabric of that place might be protected, the actual use and the community value of that place isn't protected within the planning scheme. So that's really the challenge that we're, um, that we're looking at um, with the Corkman Hotel and we're hoping to be able to um, use this as a catalyst for reform. There's been a lot of talk about um, what what we can do to stop these kinds of things occurring because it's just a two hundred thousand dollar fine. Is that correct? Is that the 
the developers would face for doing this? So that's under the Planning and Environment Act. They're also up for fines under other um, acts because of the way that they went about the development, which was unsafe, there's unsecured asbestos on the site and all kinds of things. So the fines might um, build up due to the the circumstances, but we certainly agree that $200,000 under the Planning and Environment Act is woefully inadequate. In New South Wales, the penalties are over a million dollars and we need to make sure that the penalties under the Act are punitive, not just for residential owners who might, you know, knock over a house um, that they want to rebuild, but for commercial developers who are dealing with multi-million dollar sites. So there's definitely um, reform needed there. Uh, Over the last weeks, we've also had a lot of discussion about housing affordability and the continuing angst about young people in particular being driven out of the housing market or at least can't get into the housing market. Do you see these as connected? I mean, it it, it seems to me that we're seeing the older suburbs now being gentrified, which is partly what is making them so incredibly lucrative to developers. And it's not only that the old buildings are being destroyed, but people are being driven out of these places. Yeah, I certainly do see some connections there. And as someone who's priced out of the housing market, (laughs) that's my day-to-day reality. Um, So I guess what we have to do is to look at that issue and see how we can respond in a way that that can be reflected in our planning scheme. So I guess giving more power to the community to have a say over over their community neighbourhoods and the character of those places. So a good example of that is in the UK in 2011, the Localism Act was passed that um, provides the community with the right to bid on places that have been identified as being of community value. So um, pubs are included in that, um, stores, childcare centres, things like that. We'd like really like to look at how that might have an application in Victoria uh, to to increase the community's voice um, within the planning system. Just before we let you go, what should happen to the Corkman site now? Some people are are saying the building should be rebuilt. Is that something that you're pushing for? Would that be meaningful? So the National Trust um, recently met with a range of stakeholders, including uh, the University of Melbourne students, um, Melbourne Heritage Action, our activist group in the CBD, the CFMEU um, councillors. And what we have decided is that that's really a decision for the community and we are going to participate in community consultation to find out what people actually want. But we would suggest that rebuilding would be a great way to send a message uh, to developers and owners that this is really unacceptable. And what the National Trust would love is for it to become a living conservation project. So instead of, you know, focusing on an authentic or you know, academically authentic rebuild um, of the Corkman Hotel to actually use it as an opportunity to teach um, heritage trades and skills that are becoming lost and use that as an education opportunity um, to promote those skills and to to rebuild the pub um, as the Corkman slash Carlton in um, (laughs) 2.0 living conservation project. Do you know what I'd like to see is um, the pub being rebuilt and having the guy that knocked it down working there. (laughs) 
I was going to ask who who would re, who would rebuild it? Would it be the developers? Would they have to rebuild it? That's unclear. We're getting legal advice at the moment, um, but certainly it's something that we're looking at as an option. Okay. Mm, it sounds like the story's got clean a the while. toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming to talk to us. We've been talking to Felicity Wilson. She's the acting manager of advocacy and conservation at the National Trust. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You're a triple R. Three triple. I love an unsung hero. I love people like you know. For me today, Ken Ken Walker, our last guest is Bugman. <laughs> Bugman, what a legend! What a cool dude! I know. Just it's so fascinating all this stuff and just the way he says it as well. It's just like yeah, yeah, I love bugs. He made me really excited <laughs> yeah. about bugs in a way I've never been in my life. Yeah. Uh, but it just reminds like um just been trying to think of um other people unsung heroes and. One comes to mind. I went to my um, niece and nephew do little athletics and I went along to little athletics. Did you guys ever do little athletics? Uh, my sister did, yeah. No, yeah. not so much. I wasn't so coordinated. No, I was terrible at athletics. Right. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I went along and it's such an interesting uh, – here's the thing. I think there's two types of parents that go to little athletics mm-hmm. that are at little – there's the parents that are really into it, like, go, Johnny – Go, mm-hmm. come on, that's a great job, son, well done. And then there's the parents that are just recovering from a few too many wines from the <laughs> night before. <laughs> just kind of... Just, just do your best. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Come on, just, just run, the, Jimmy. <coughs> just bring the camping chair and <coughs> kind of sit back and wait and drink coffee and catch up with each other. Um, my sister probably falls into that category a bit. But there was – and so there's one day where I went one morning and, uh, you know, I was just sitting there watching all the events and stuff and there was the 1,500-metre walk and there was a kid – I think <clears throat> there was about 10-year-old boys that were in doing this race and there was one kid who did the entire 1,500 metres as a robot. Did <laughs> oh, my God. The robot <laughs> dance. <laughs> For 1,500 metres. Oh, my God. Gave him a standing ovation when he finished. 1,500 metres. 1,500 metres. That is so much. That's more commitment to anything than I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, He's the hero we didn't know we needed to have. Wow. And I'd always kind of, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I always thought the walk, that's kind of the, the event that you get put in if maybe you're not the most... Athletic? No, not perhaps? not at Little Aths. Little really? Aths, it's they're preparing them to be Olympic walkers. Mm. Oh. Yeah, oh, I'm just saying that because you <laughs> always put in <laughs> the walk. <laughs> the thing I hated most was swimming. I hated it. I still hate it. You don't like swimming? I hate it so much. It's unnatural. It's disgusting. But <laughs> what? It's disgusting what? about it. It's what do you mean? Swishing about it. But you have baths. You love baths. You don't swim about in it with other people though, do I? Just. <laughs> Well, you don't have to. You could just lie in it. Swimming, disgusting. That's I've never heard anyone. Call yeah, so I was that. terrible at it. And then, do you I, go to the beach? No, I don't go to the yeah. Beach. Well, clearly, yeah, that's true. But anyway, and, so you know, I was never any good at it, so I never put it. I remember being put in. Well, maybe it's your attitude <laughs> thinking it's disgusting. I remember being put in the walk. We yeah. have to walk through the pool. Like oh. That is Wait. not. I'm sorry, Jeff. That is not a thing. The walk through the pool is not a thing. So when when we're talking about <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like waiting. Were you I, the, the only one in this race, Jeff? 
<laughs> lots of us, you know. I'm just saying, but perhaps we lots weren't. Lots of you. <laughs> perhaps we weren't the best swimmers that were out there. That was just why I wondered whether, when you're nominated. <laughs> Not in my entire life has there ever been an event at any pool called it's a walk. It's a walk. Waiting. Were you surrounded by lots of old ladies who were lifting weights in the air? I'm sure there's people there who were wading champions like yeah, I was. Walking, like walking is walking, but walking in a pool because you can't swim. Is old lady pool athletics. <laughs> no, it was the thing. Anyway, you were talking about unsung heroes. Yep. I'd like to nominate one okay. in me in the waiting. Because I was very good at it. Because well, <laughs> you were the only one doing it. <laughs> that is terrible. <laughs> this has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.